0: Chapter fourteen of the Money Moon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Money Moon, a Romance by Geoffrey Farnall. Chapter fourteen, which among other things has to do with shrimps, muffins, and tin whistles. A typical Kentish village is Dapplemere, with its rows of scattered cottages bowered in roses and honeysuckle, white-walled cottages with steep-pitched roofs, and small latticed windows that seem to stare at all and sundry like so many winking eyes. There is an air redolent of ripening fruit and hops, for Dapplemere is a place of orchards and hop-gardens and rickyards. while, here and there, the sharp-pointed, red-tiled roof of some oast-house pierces the green. Though Dapplemere Village is but a very small place indeed, nowadays, yet it possesses a church, grey and ancient, whose massive norman tower looks down upon the gable and chimney upon roof of thatch and roof of tile like some benignant giant keeping watch above them all near by of course is the inn a great rambling comfortable place with time-worn settles beside the door and with a mighty sign a-swinging before it upon which plainly to be seen when the sun catches it fairly is that which purports to be a likeness of his majesty king william the fourth of glorious memory but alas the colours have long since faded so that now upon a dull day it is a moot question whether his majesty's nose was of the greek or roman order or indeed whether he was blessed with any nose at all thus time and circumstances have united to make a ghost of the likeness as they have done of the original long since which fading yet more and more will doubtless eventually vanish altogether like king william himself and leave but a vague memory behind now before the inn was a small crowd gathered about a trap in which sat two men one of whom bellew recognized as the red-necked corn-chandler grimes and the other the rat-eyed parsons. The corn-chandler was mopping violently at his face and neck, down which ran, and to which clung, a foamy substance suspiciously like the froth of beer, and as he mopped his loud brassy voice shook and quavered with passion. "'I tell ye, ye shall get out of my cottage,' he was saying. "'I say you shall quit my cottage at the end of the month, and when I says a thing I means it.' I say you shall get off of my property, you and that beggarly cobbler. I say you shall be thrown out of my cottage, lock, stock, and barrel. I say I wouldn't, Mr. Grimes, leastways not if I was you. Another voice broke in, calm and deliberate. No, I wouldn't go for to say another word, sir, because if you do say another word, I know a man as will drag you down and out of that cart, sir. I know a man. As will break your whip over your very own back, Sir, I know a man as will then take and heave you into the horse-pond, Sir. And that man is me, Sergeant Appleby, late of the nineteenth hussars, Sir. The corn chattler, having removed most of the froth from his head and face, stared down at the straight, alert figure of the big sergeant, hesitated, glanced at the sergeant's fist, which though solitary, was large and powerful scowled at the sergeant from his polished boots to the crown of his well-brushed hat, which perched upon his close-cropped gray hair at a ridiculous angle totally impossible to any but an ex-calvary man, muttered a furious oath, and, snatching his whip, cut viciously at his horse, very much as if that animal had been the sergeant himself, and, as the trap lurched forward, he shook his fist and nodded his head. "'Out you go, at the end of the month, mind that!' "'He snarled, and so rattled away down the road, "'still mopping at his head and neck, "'until he had fairly mopped himself out of sight. "'Well, sergeant,' said Bellew, extending his hand, "'how are you?' "'Hearty, sir, hearty, I thank you, "'though at this precise moment just a little put out, sir. "'None the less I know a man as is happy to see you, Mr. Bellew, sir, "'and that's me.' sergeant appleby at your service sir my cottage lies down the road yonder an easy march if you will step that far speaking for my comrade and myself we shall be proud for you to take tea with us muffins sir shrimps mr bellew also a pikelet or two not a great feast but tolerable good rations sir and plenty of em what do you say i say done and thank you very much So, without further parley, the sergeant saluted divers of the little crowd, and, wheeling sharply, strode along beside Bellew, rather more stiff in the back, and fixed of eye than was his wont, and jingling his imaginary spurs rather more loudly than usual. "'You will be wondering at the tantrums of the man Grimes, sir, of his ordering me and my comrade Peterday out of his cottage, sir. I tell you, in two words.' "'It's all owing to the sale, up at the farm, sir. "'You see, Grimes is a great hand at buying things, "'uncommonly cheap, and selling them, uncommonly dear. "'Today, it seems, he was disappointed.' "'Ah?' said Bellew. "'At exactly twenty-three minutes to six, sir,' said the sergeant, "'consulting his large silver watch. "'I were sitting at my usual corner, beside the chimney, sir.' "'When in comes Grimes, like a thundercloud, "'calls for a pint of ale in a tankard. "'Tom draws pint. "'Which Tom is the landlord, sir?' "'Buy anything at the sale, Mr. Grimes,' says Tom. "'Sale,' says Grimes. "'Sale, indeed. "'And falls a-cursing. "'Folk up at the farm. "'Shocking. "'Outrageous. "'Ends by threatening to foreclose mortgage "'within the month. "'Upon which I raise a protest.' "'upon which he grows abusive, "'upon which I was forced to pour his ale over him, "'over which I ran him out into the road, "'and there it is, you see.' "'And he threatened to foreclose the mortgage "'on Dapplemere Farm, did he, sergeant?' "'Within the month, sir, upon which I warned him. "'In parlor no place, ladies' private money troubles, "'a gaping crowd, Damn it. "'And so he is turning you out of his cottage?' "'Within the week, sir. But then, uh, beer down the neck, he's rather unpleasant.' And here the sergeant uttered a short laugh, and was immediately grave again. "'It isn't,' he went on, "'it isn't as I mind the inconvenience of moving, sir, um, though I shall be mighty sorry to leave the old place. Still, it isn't that so much as the small corner cupboard and my bookshelf by the chimney.' There never was such a cupboard, sir. There never was a cupboard so well calculated to hold a pair of jack boots, not to mention spurs, hilos, burnishers, shoulder chains, polishing brushes, and uh, a boot jack, as that same small corner cupboard. As for the bookshelf beside the chimney, sir, exactly three foot three, sunk in a recess, height the third button of my coat, capacity fourteen books. "'you couldn't get another book on that shelf, no, "'not if you tried with a sledge-hammer or a hydraulic engine. "'Which is highly surprising, when you consider that fourteen books "'is the true and exact number of books as I possess.' "'Very remarkable,' said Bellew. "'Then again, there's my comrade, Peter Day.' "'The sergeant pronounced it as though it were all one word. "'Sir, my comrade, Peter Day, is a very remarkable man. "'Most cobblers are. "'When he's not cobbling, he's reading. "'When not reading, he's cobbling, "'or mending clocks and watches. "'And betwixt this and that "'my comrade has picked up a power of information. "'Though he lost his leg a-doing of it, "'in a gale of wind, off the Cape of Good Hope, "'for my comrade was a sailor, sir. "'Consequently, he is a handyman. "'Most sailors are, and makes his own wooden legs, sir. "'He is also a musician.' The tin whistle, sir, and here we are. Saying which, the sergeant halted, wheeled, opened a very small gate, and ushered Bellow into a very small garden, bright with flowers, beyond which was a very small cottage indeed, through the open door of which there issued a most appetizing odor, accompanied by a whistle, wonderfully clear and sweet, that was rendering Tom bowling, with many shakes, trills, and astonishing runs. Peter Day was busied at the fire with a long toasting-fork in his hand, but on their entrance, breaking off his whistling in the very middle of a note, he sprang nimbly to his feet, or rather his foot, and stood revealed as a short yet strongly built man, with a face that in one way resembled an island in that it was completely surrounded by hair and whisker. But it was, in all respects, a vastly pleasant island to behold— despite the somewhat craggy prominences of chin and nose and brow. In other words, it was a pleasing face, notwithstanding the fierce, thick eyebrows which were more than offset by the merry blue eyes, and the broad, humorous mouth below. Peterday said the sergeant, "'Mr. Bellew.' "'Glad to see you, sir,' said the mariner, saluting the visitor with a quick bob of the head and a backward scrape of the wooden leg." You couldn't make port at a better time, sir, and because why? Because the kettle's a-biling, sir, the muffins is piping hot, and the shrimps is a-laying hove too, waiting to be took aboard, sir. Saying which, Peter Day bobbed his head again, shook his wooden leg again, and turned away to reach another cup and saucer. It was a large room for so small a cottage, and comfortably furnished, with a floor of red tile, and with a grate at one end well raised up from the hearth upon the hob a kettle sang murmurously and on a trivet stood a plate whereon rose a tower of toasted muffins a round table occupied the middle of the floor and was spread with a snowy cloth whereon cups and saucers were arranged while in the midst stood a great bowl of shrimps now above the mantelpiece that is to say to the left of it and fastened to the wall was a length of rope cunningly tied into what is called a running bowline. Above this, on a shelf specially contrived to hold it, was the model of a full-rigged ship that was, to all appearances, making excellent way of it, with every stitch of canvas set and drawing, alow and aloft. Above this again was a sextant and a telescope. Opposite all these, upon the other side of the mantle, were a pair of stirrups, three pairs of spurs two cavalry sabers and a carbine while between these objects in the very middle of the chimney uniting as it were the army and the navy was a portrait of queen victoria bellew also noticed that each side of the room partook of the same characteristics one being devoted to things nautical the other to objects military all this bellew noticed while the soldier was brewing the tea and the sailor was bestowing the last finishing touches to the muffins. "'It ain't often as we're honoured with company, sir,' said Peter Day, as they sat down. "'Is it, Dick?' "'No,' answered the sergeant, handing Bellew the strips. "'We ain't had company to tea,' said Peter Day, passing Bellew the muffins. "'No, we ain't had company to tea since the last time Miss Anthea and Miss Priscilla honoured us have we, Dick.' "'Honoured us!' "'said the sergeant, nodding his head approvingly, "'is the one and only word for it, Peter Day. "'And the last time was this day twelve months, sir. "'Because why? "'Because this day twelve months happened to be Miss Priscilla's birthday. "'Consequently to-day is her birthday, likewise. "'Wherefore the muffins, and wherefore the shrimps, sir? "'For they was this day to have once more graced our board, Mr. Bellew.' "'Graced our board,' said the sergeant, "'Nodding his head again. "'Grace, our board is is the only expression for it, Peter Day. "'But they disappointed us, Mr. Bellow, sir, on account of the sail. Messmate said Peter Day, with a note of concern in his voice. "'How's the wind?' "'Tolerable, comrade, tolerable. "'Then why forget the tea?' "'Tea,' said the sergeant, with a guilty start. "'Why, so I am. "'Mr. Bellow, sir, your pardon.' and forthwith he began to pour out the tea very solemnly, but with less precision of movement than usual, and with abstracted gaze. "'The sergeant tells me you're a musician,' said Bellew, as Peterday handed him another muffin. "'A musician! Me! Think of that now! To be sure, I do toot on the tin whistle now and then, sir, such things as the British grenadiers and the girl I left behind me, for my shipmate.' and the bay of biscay and a life on the ocean wave for myself but a musician lord you see sir said peterday taking advantage of the sergeant's abstraction and whispering confidentially behind his muffin this messmate of mine has such a high opinion of my gifts as is fair overpowering and a tin whistle is only a tin whistle after all and it is about the only instrument i could ever get the hang of said bellew "'Do you mean as you play, sir?' Oh, "'Hardly that, but I make a good bluff at it.' "'Why, then, I've got a couple of very good whistles. If you're so minded we might try a duet, sir, otter tea "'With pleasure,' nodded Bellow. But hereupon Peter Day, noticing that the sergeant ate nothing, leaned over and touched him upon the shoulder. "'How's the wind now, shipmate?' he inquired. "'Why, so-so, Peter Day.' fairish fairish said the sergeant stirring his tea round and round and with his gaze fixed upon the opposite wall then messmate why not a muffin or even an occasional shrimp where be your appetite peterday said the sergeant beginning to stir his tea faster than ever and with his eyes still fixed consequent upon disparaging remarks having been passed by one grimes our landlord "'Concerning them as should not be mentioned "'in a inn-parlour or anywhere else "'by such as, said Grimes, "'I was compelled to pour "'a tankard of beer over, said Grimes, "'our landlord, this afternoon, "'Peter Day, at exactly twelve and a half minutes past six, "'by my watch, which done, "'I ran our landlord out into the road, Peter Day, "'say, uh, half a minute later, "'which would make it precisely thirteen minutes after the hour, "'consequent upon which, comrade, "'we have received our marching orders.' "'What, messmate? Is it heave our anchor, you mean?' "'I mean, comrade, that on Saturday next, "'being the twenty-fifth instant, "'we march out, bag and baggage, "'horse, foot, and artillery. "'We evacuate our position, "'in face of superior force,' "'for good and all, comrade.' "'Is that so, shipmate?' "'It's rough on you, Peter Day. It, "'It's hard on you, I'll admit. "'But things were said, comrade, "'relative to business troubles of one "'as we both respect, Peter Day. Uh, "'Things were said as called for uh, "'beer down the neck "'and running out into the road, comrade. "'But it's rough on you, Peter Day, "'seeing as you, like the hussars at Swan. Uh, was never engaged, so to speak. Ay, ay, shipmate, that does catch me. On a back, shipmate. My lord, I'd give a pound, two pound, a ten, just to have been astern of him with a rope's end. Though, so, come to think of it, I'd a preferred a capstan bar. Uh, Peterday, said the sergeant, removing his gaze from the wall with a jerk. On the twenty-fifth instant, we shall be without a roof to cover us and-and uh, and all my doing peterday what have you to say about it say messmate <laughs> why that you and me honouring and respecting two ladies as deserves to be honoured and respected ain't going to let such a small thing as this here cottage come betwixt us and our honouring and respecting of them two ladies if therefore we are due to quit this anchorage why then it's all hands to the windlass with a heave, yo, ho, and merrily, say I. Miss, my fist! Hereupon, with a very jerky movement indeed, the sergeant reached out his remaining arm, and the soldier and the sailor shook hands very solemnly over the muffins, already vastly diminished in number, with a grip that spoke much. Peter Day, you have lifted a load off my heart. I thank ye, comrade, and spoke like a true soldier. Peter the muffins. So now the sergeant, himself once more, fell to in turn, and they ate, and drank, and laughed, and talked, until the shrimps were all gone, and the muffins were things of the past. And now, declining all Bellew's offers of assistance, the soldier and the sailor began washing, and drying, and putting away their crockery, each in his characteristic manner. The sergeant, very careful and exact, while the sailor juggled cups and saucers with the sure-handed deftness that seems peculiar to nautical fingers. "'Yes, Peter Day,' said the sergeant, hanging each cup upon its appointed nail and setting each saucer solicitously in the space reserved for it on the small dresser. "'Since you have took our marching orders as you have took em, I am quite reconciled to parting with these here snug quarters, barring only a, a bookshelf and a cupboard.' "'Cupboard?' returned Peter Day, with a snort of disdain. Why, there never was such a ill-contrived, lovely cupboard as that. In all the world, you can't get at it unless you lay over to port, on account of the clothes-press, and then hard starboard, on account of the dresser, and then it being in that darkest corner. Truer, Peter Day, but then I'm used to it, and use is everything, as you know. I can lay my hand upon anything in a minute. Watch me. Saying which, the sergeant squeezed himself between the press and the dresser, opened the cupboard, and took thence several articles which he named, each in order. A pair of jack-boots, two brushes, blacking, and a burnisher. Having set these down, one by one, upon the dresser, he wheeled and addressed himself to Bellew as follows. Mr. Bellew, sir, this evening being the anniversary of a certain event, sir, I will ask you to excuse me while I make the necessary preparations, to honour this anniversary, as is ever my custom. As he ended, he dropped the two brushes, the blacking, and the burnisher inside the legs of the boots, picked them up with a sweep of the arm, and, turning short round, strode out into the little garden. "'A fine fellow is Dick, sir,' nodded Peter Day, beginning to fill a long clay-pipe. "'Lord, what a sailor he'd a-made!' to be sure failing which he's a fine a soldier as ever was or will be with enough war-metals to fill my sunny hat sir when he lost his arm they gave him the v c and his discharge sir because why because a soldier with one arm ain't any more good than a sailor with one leg d'ye see so they tried to discharge dick but lord love you they couldn't sir because why because dick were a soldier bred and born and is as much a soldier to-day as ever he was ah and always will be until he goes marching aloft like poor tom bowling until one as is general of all the armies and admiral of all the fleets as ever sailed shall call the last muster-roll sir at this present moment sir continued the sailor, lighting his pipe with a live coal from the fire. "'My messmate is a-sitting uh, to the leeward of the plum-tree outside, a-polishing of his jack-boots, is don't need polishing, and a-burnishing of his spurs, is don't need burnishing. And because why? Because he goes on guard to-night, according to custom.' "'On guard?' repeated Bellow. "'I'm afraid I don't understand.' Eh, "'Of course you don't, sir,' chuckled Peter Day. "'Well, then—' to-night he marches away in full regimental sir to mount guard and where do you suppose why i'll tell you under miss priscilla's window he gets there as the clock is striking eleven and there he stays a marching to and fro until twelve o'clock which does him a world of good sir and no ways displeases miss priscilla because why because she don't know nothing whatever about it Hereupon Peter Day rose, and crossing to a battered seaman's chest in the corner, came back with three or four tin whistles which he handed to Bellew, who laid aside his pipe, and, having selected one, ran tentatively up and down the scale, while Peter Day listened attentive a ear and beaming a face. "'Sir,' said he, "'what do you say to Annie Laurie as a start? Shall we give him Annie Laurie?' "'Very good. Ready? Go!' Thus George Bellew, American citizen and millionaire, piped away on a tin whistle with all the gusto in the world, introducing little trills and flourishes here and there that fairly won the one-legged sailor's heart. They had already given him three or four selections, each of which had been vociferously encored by Peter Day, or Bellew, and had just finished an impassioned rendering of Suwannee River when the sergeant appeared with his boots beneath his arm. "'Shipmate!' cried Peter Day, flourishing his whistle. "'Did ye ever hear a tin whistle better played or meller in tone?' "'Miller is the only word for it, comrade. "'And your playing, sirs, is artistic, though doleful. "'Perhaps you wouldn't mind giving us something brighter, a rattling quickstep. "'Perhaps you might remember one as begins, "'Some talk of Alexander and some of Hercules!' if it wouldn't be troubling you too much. Forthwith they burst forth into the British grenadiers, and never did tin whistles render the famous old tune with more fire and dash. As the stirring notes rang out, the sergeant, standing upon the hearth, seemed to grow taller, his broad chest expanded, his eyes glowed, a flush crept into his cheek, and the whole man thrilled to the music, as he had done many a time and off in years gone by. As the last notes died away, he glanced down at the empty sleeve pinned across his breast, shook his head, and, thinking them in a very gruff voice indeed, turned on his heel, and busied himself at his little cupboard. Peter Day now rose, and set a jug together with three glasses upon the table, also spoons and a lemon, keeping his weather-eye, meanwhile, upon the kettle, which last, condescending to boil obligingly, he rapped three times with his wooden leg. "'Right-o, shipmate!' he cried, very much as though he had been hailing the main-top, whereupon the sergeant emerged from between the clothes-press and the dresser with a black bottle in his hand, which he passed over to Peterday, who set out about brewing what he called a jorum a grog the savour of which filled the place with a right pleasant fragrance. And, when the glasses brimmed, each with a slice of lemon atop, the sergeant solemnly rose mr bellew and comrade said he lifting his glass i give you miss priscilla god bless her said peterday amen added bellew so the toast was drunk the glasses were emptied refilled and emptied again this time more slowly and the clock striking nine bellew rose to take his leave seeing which the sergeant fetched his hat and stick and volunteered to accompany him a little way So, when Bellew had shaken the sailor's honest hand, they set out together. "'Sergeant,' said Bellew, after they had walked some distance, "'I have a message for you.' "'For me, sir?' "'From Miss Priscilla?' "'From—' "'Indeed, sir. She bid me tell you that—' "'The peaches are riper to-night than ever they were.' The sergeant seemed to find in this a subject for profound thought, and he strode on beside Bellew very silently, and with his eyes straight before him. "'That the peaches were riper to-night, than ever they were?' said he at last. "'Yes, sergeant.' "'Riper,' said the sergeant, as though turning this over in his mind. "'Riper than ever they were,' nodded Bellew. "'The peaches, I think, sir.' "'The peaches, yes.' Bellow heard the sergeant's finger rasping to and fro across his shaven chin. "'Mr. Bellow, sir, she is a—' "'Very remarkable woman, sir.' "'Yes, sergeant.' "'A wonderful woman.' "'Yes, sergeant.' "'The kind of woman that—' "'Improves with age, sir.' "'Yes, sergeant.' "'Talking of—' "'Peaches, sir, I've often thought that—' "'She is—' "'Very like a peach, yourself, sir.' "'Very, sergeant, but—' "'Well, sir, peaches do not improve with age, sergeant, "'and the peaches are riper than ever they were to-night.' "'The sergeant stopped short and stared at Bellew wide-eyed. "'Why, sir,' said he very slowly, "'you don't mean to say you think—as she—' "'Meant... that... but I do!' nodded Bellew. And now, just as suddenly as he had stopped, the sergeant turned and went on again. "'Lord!' he whispered. "'Lord, Lord!' The moon was rising, and, looking at the sergeant, Bellew saw that there was a wonderful light in his face, yet a light that was not of the moon. "'Sergeant,' said Bellew, "'laying a hand upon his shoulder. "'Why don't you speak to her?' "'Speak to her? What, me? "'No, no, Mr. Bellew,' said the sergeant hastily. "'No, no, can't be done, sir. "'Not to be mentioned or thought of, sir.' "'The light was all gone out of his face now, "'and he walked with his chin on his breast. "'The surprising thing to me, sergeant, "'is that you have never thought of putting your fortune to the test, "'and and speaking your mind to her before now thought of it sir repeated the sergeant bitterly thought of it lord sir i thought of it these five years and more i thought of it day and night i thought of it so very much that i know i never can speak my mind to her look at me he cried suddenly wheeling and confronting bellow but not at all like his bold erect soldierly self yes look at me a poor battered old soldier with his best arm gone, left behind him in India, and with nothing in the world but his old uniform, getting very frayed and worn, like himself, sir, a pair of jack-boots, likewise, very much worn, though wonderfully patched here and there by my good comrade Peter Day, a handful of medals, and a very modest pension. Look at me, with the best of my days behind me, and with only one arm left, "'and have a deal more awkward and helpless with that one arm "'than you'd think, sir.' "'Look at me, and then tell me how could such a man "'dare to speak his mind to such a woman. "'What right has, uh, such a man, to even think of speaking his mind to "'such a woman, when there's part of that man already in the grave?' "'Why, no right, sir, none in the world. "'Poverty, and one arm.' OUR FACTS IS MAKE IT IMPOSSIBLE FOR THAT MAN TO EVER SPEAK HIS MIND. And, sir, THAT MAN NEVER WILL, SIR. GOOD NIGHT TO YOU. AND A PLEASANT WALK. I TURN BACK HERE. WHICH THE SERGEANT DID, THEN AND THERE, WHEELING SHARP RIGHT ABOUT FACE. YET, AS BELLA WATCHED HIM GO, HE NOTICED THAT THE SOLDIER'S STEP WAS HEAVY AND SLOW. It had seemed that, for once, the sergeant had even forgotten to put on his imaginary spurs. End of chapter 14